Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canale, and welcome back to Before the Lights Podcast, the show that tells you how they made their mark. He's a rock vocalist who's done various commercials on radio, TV, and film. A guitarist who's played with several bands such as The Offspring and George Lynch's Lynch Mob. A frontman in Last in Line, which is the United Original Members of Dio. A songwriter, music producer, audio engineer. Please welcome to the show, Andrew Freeman. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. How are you? I am well. Excited to do this. You're from the Western Massachusetts area. Yeah, kind of. I, I was. I'm from uh, upstate New York, and uh, at, by way of Massachusetts. So yeah, by way of Western Mass. Yeah. What's your first memory of music as a kid? My first memory of music, you know, um, the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, being in a uh, fishing on the lake with my dad. Uh, um, I was young and he had a boat and we were listening to, he had one of those little radios, mm-hmm. a little tiny radio that was kind of sitting on the boat. And I was worried about the radio falling into the water because <laughs> it was sitting on the edge of it, you know, but I remember, I, I, I can't, I can't remember. It was, it was a Paul McCartney and wing song. It was either uh, uh silly love songs or, um, or band on the run. I can't remember which one it was. I think it, I think it was band on the run. And, uh, and I've always have an, I always have a weird uh, attraction to that, uh, uh, Paul McCartney wings, um, uh, greatest hits album. So, um, cause I, you know, I, I don't, I never got into the, the, the records themselves from him, but I got into the, into that one. I, I'll, I could listen to that to this day over and over again. So that's the first memory of like hearing music, you know, that was, you know, significant to me. So. You grew up listening to Kiss, the Ramones, Aerosmith, Sex Pistols, The Clash. To you, what's the best era of music, in your opinion? Um, you know, I just did a show with Kenny Davidson. I don't know if you know Kenny. He's a, uh, he does a, a, a cabaret show here in town. And we, it's the second time I've done it. And every time I pick the songs, it's like a bunch of songs that I don't normally get to do with you know, regular rock bands, you know, cause I, I don't get to play with a piano player very often. And he's a piano player in town here. And everything we picked was from like 79, 78 to like 83. Mm. So um, there's a lot, I think there's an era of that where this transition between, you know, the seventies, um, uh, seventies more, um, what do you call it? Rock. The, I guess. Like classic rock. Ahead. Yeah, more classic rock. I guess I don't know what it would be called then, but you know, transitioning from like when punk rock started to like, mm. and, and new waves started to kind of um, evolve, and metal as well. You know, I'm a big metal guy, so you know, there's this new wave of heavy metal that happened around that time, and uh, and it started in England, and and uh, you know, bands like Van Halen came out, came out in in L.A. around '78, '79, and so that's that's been the biggest one for me because everything we picked was like you know, Joe Jackson and, and, uh, you know, the talking heads and, uh, you know, but then, but then I have this affinity for, um, like mid nineties music, you know, the grunge movement and then what evolved the post grunge thing. And as it evolved into, you know, the, the, the whole English, um, uh, this there was a whole movement of English music and in, in, uh, like English pop rock bands that came out like late nineties, like Oasis and blur. And, um, and I'm really into that, you know, the, the verve, you know, Richard Ashcroft and just this resurgence of mod rock, you know, um, from the seventies. So, so yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a seventies kid, seventies, early eighties kid, you know, 
now that you're bringing up all that music, now I want to go listen to it and probably will when yeah, we get done I with mean, this. I, I mean, I can talk music all day, dude. I can talk about other people's music all day. I don't know about mine. Tell this story of driving to high school, how you would play cassette tapes and feel like you could sing. So you would do kind of like voice training with yourself. Man, you did some research. Wow. Let's see. Um, you know, I listened to one of your interviews and I, I thought, man, this guy's good. Like he got interesting stuff. It was great. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. Um, voice training. Well, I had about a 45 minute drive to high school. I, I had a, you know, I had this, one of those terrible Mustangs that came out in the late eighties. It was a, it was a hatchback when they tried to make the Mustang, the, uh, like a commuter car instead of what it was, you know, like a, a muscle car. Like, right. so we're talking about like 86, 88, around that time, 87. And, um, and I, I drove to work, I drove to, to school and it was about a 45 minute drive. I went to a Catholic school in another town and I would just play a tape after tape, you know, back then it was stacks of tapes, you know, so I'd play tape after tape and, just sing at the top of my lungs, never really thinking that I was going to be a singer because I was always a guitar player. And, and um, yeah, I guess I just kind of developed it then. And there was certain things that I, I listened to that, uh, um, you know, were challenging. I remember the, you know, the first Guns N' Roses album came out and it just was like, Oh, mm. you know, it's uh, appetite for destruction. I just sang that at the top of my lungs and, you know, Axel's got a really strong voice. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, but it was a lot of the eighties at that time. It was all, all that the metal stuff that was going on, the hairband stuff that was, I was really into that. So were you like me with the cassettes that had the, uh, the zip up case logic and they were two sides and you oh, could, yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. I had one of those. They're like the fake brown leather. Oh yeah. Folded <laughs> up. It was like a briefcase. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like briefcase. yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I don't remember getting those till later on. The, the <laughs> small zip up ones. I still have a bunch of, I have a lot of my cassettes, I have tons of cassettes, you know, um, in the garage and, and, uh, and, and this, I'm trying to find a place to put them where I can display them and still see them. But, uh, cause there's stuff you can't get, you know, a lot of people like, once you get rid of those, cause everything's on iTunes now. Like I, I can't, because a lot of this stuff is out of print, you know, a lot records bands that I liked, I really dug deep and I, I like having stuff like I'll walk into a, uh, uh, like a goodwill and I'll go through the records that they have. I'll go through the vinyls. I'll go through, uh, the cassettes. And if I see, I, one day I walked in and there was like seven, eight, Kiss cassettes, obviously just got, everybody got rid of, somebody got rid of all their stuff and I couldn't leave them there. I took them and I paid for them, you know, found Finn Lizzie's jailbreak there not too long ago too. Wow. Whoa, really? You know, so there's a lot of stuff. It means something to me. So it's, and I'm, I'm sick, you know, so. <laughs> I, I still collect the vinyl. I have my vinyl from way back in the day. I still collect new stuff. I keep hearing cassettes is coming back. And I said, well, I used to have a bunch. I don't have them anymore, but even we'll if I had see. them, yeah. <laughs> if I had them, I have nothing to play them. I don't even have a cassette yeah. player. So. Yeah, well, you know, vinyl is the top selling medium right now in in, uh, in music. Like it's it's everybody's putting vinyls out. All, all of our records are available. All the last line records are on vinyl. People buy them, you know, they're and they mm-hmm. and they're getting like, you know, thirty dollars, forty dollars <laughs> right. for them. It's insane. You know, it's more yeah. now for vinyl than it was when you used to buy them brand new when vinyl was hot. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, because I got to make up for it. It's expensive to make, and there's not many places that do it anymore. You know, there's not many right. plants that make vinyl records. So, you know. Talk to me about when you were a guitarist, co songwriter, producer for the Massachusetts band 30 Stones. Yeah, not so many people know much about that. We were, uh, we were just, uh, maybe we were kids, but we, it was little, the last band I was in that was had that camaraderie to it where you're just four guys, um, just slugging it out, you know, working day jobs and 
sometimes not working day jobs and you all jump in the van and you, you all, you know, eat the, eat whatever's available and uh, you're just starving, starving for your art. But it, it was the last, um, uh, you know, group of friends that I had that where we were all on the same page and we were all just trying to make it to the point where I remember we did a show once and we were mismatched with a, a like a, a funk band or a more contemporary, like soul sort of thing. And we just were getting ready, you know, backstage area, we're sharing a dressing room with this band and, and this uh, older African-American gentleman who was playing bass for them, you know, we were just doing our thing and we're, you know, intensely doing our stuff. And he just walks over and he goes, you look like you guys are about ready to go to war. <laughs> like, yeah. And we kind of look at each other like, man, we're just getting ready for the game. But we were, we were so intense and just so like everything was, had to be a certain way and, you know, fixing guitars and, you know, taking drinks and just like punching each other in the chest and, you know, but just like what, you know, dudes do or friends do when they hang out with each other. And, uh, I really enjoyed playing with those guys. We, we lost our singer Keith, um, few years back and, and, uh, which was a, a tough one. So, uh, but we, we had a, we had a regional following. We got some radio numbers. We did a, our own record. We self-financed it and, uh, recorded it with a producer named Zeus. Who's, um, Rob Zombie's guy now. Like he does a lot of Rob Zombie's, uh, albums and his, his, uh, movies and stuff. He's his main engineer, but he, he does a lot of different, uh, uh, he's become a big producer, you know, um, and he was just more of a, you know, back then he was a, you know, a metal producer, more low key. I don't say low key, but underground type stuff, more, you know, of the heavy, heavy metal stuff he, he did. So, um, but yeah, it was a good time. I, I miss those days. I miss, you know, hanging out with those guys, I especially miss my friend Keith. He's, it was one of the biggest cheerleaders I, you know, ever had in my life as far as a music career after I left the band and moved out West and, tried to get him to move West and he just wouldn't do it. And, and, um, cause his, you know, his family was back there. He just didn't want to do it. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, bittersweet, you know, when I think about that band. So what was the reason then Andrew, for you to come West from being out East, what brought you out here? I, well, mostly the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, where, where did you live? Where were you at? I was in so Illinois. New York yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> same thing, dude. It's, um, so yeah, I came out, we, uh, I go and I went to a music convention in, in Anaheim, California, uh, in January. And, uh, when I, for the first time I went, I jumped on a plane in, in Newark, New York. And, uh, early in the morning and they were blowing snow off the wings, you know, because it was snowing heavily. They're blowing, de-icing the plane, blowing right. snow off the wings. Yep. Looking out the window, like, are we going to get out of here or what? So landed, walked out of LAX and uh, uh, just like that Miley Cyrus song, walked out of the, at the door of LAX. <laughs> yep. Walked out of LAX and the weather just hits you. It was like, it was like 70 degrees and it was breezy and sunny and just like what I just was like, what am I doing here? You know, what are we doing? You know, the this convention and it just basically the whole, you know, music business was, was there. And I'm like, what am I, you know, that make any sense. So about a year, just a year to the day later, it seems uh, we ended up moving back the van up and drove across country and, and ended up in LA, but it was mostly because, you know, 30 stones fell apart. We were doing a record that summer and uh, with a label and then the label kind of fell apart before it came out. And, um, before release and, and one of the guys left and, and, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to go try this out West, but let's, you know, I'll fly back for shows. Cause back then it was cheap to fly back and forth, uh, at the time. Um, 
but we ended up doing a couple shows out West, but I, I got there and then Lynch called me, his singer didn't, his had disappeared like the night before, <laughs> like a two week run. And, uh, my brother worked for George at the time and he said, Hey, they, they need a guy, you know, tomorrow. So, uh, and this was maybe about two months after I got there, I got to LA. So, um, so, and then the rest was history, but I, I just was like, uh, Massachusetts got, uh, had a great scene. Um, I loved living in the Northeast, but honestly, it was mostly the weather. And, and secondly, it was lack of opportunity. So. Uh, mine was weather. I, my parents, we moved out here when I was a child in, to Las Vegas in the eighties. And then oh, I, wow. and then I moved back to Illinois and I'm shoveling snow in mid April yes. with six foot drifts going, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's exactly what the thought process. Yeah. Is. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm out of here. Well, the last time I went there, I went, I ended up going to that same convention the next year. And then I, I couldn't fly back for two days because Logan airport in Boston was snowed in. <laughs> so I, I was, my flight got canceled. I was stuck in California for, for two days. I was like two, three days. And I, and I, I was, um, I was like, okay, no big deal, but it rained like crazy every day. Mm. So it was just like sitting in a house, like, Ugh, what am I getting? You know, I want to go do stuff, but, um, but yeah, then I got back and I was like, let's get out of here. We packed up and we split. We're just like, we're done with this. So 2008, you were with the offspring as a touring guitarist and backup vocalist for the tour rise and fall and rage and grace. How'd yes, you get sir. hooked up with offspring? Uh, I have a friend named Steve Massey, who is, uh, who I grew up with, who I, I went to high school with his mother and my mother went to high school together. That's how long we've known each other. Um, uh, so, you know, he, called me one day and said that they were looking for a, well, I, I worked for them as a, a guitar tech on when they were recording that album and, uh, you know, met Bob rock and, uh, you know, the rest of the band and got, you know, friendly with the rest of the band. And, and then maybe a couple months later, they decided to make a change on their utility guy, which is the guy who plays guitar, sings backups, keyboards and such. Um, and, uh, so I got called to go do it and it, I lived in Orange County and this is usually when you do these auditions they are up in, up in uh, LA. So it's a little bit of a, I don't know if you're familiar with the LA area, but it's yeah, uh, I am. very, very separated. Everything was behind the art curtain as they call it. And, um, and it was right down the street cause they, they lived in the same town I did, I did and, and Huntington beach and it just really worked out. So we, we did the audition there and he called me and said, they're looking for this guy, uh, went in and, uh, and got it the five other guys. And I've met three of the other guys auditioned for it over the years. Like you're the one who got that gig. And I, <laughs> and I've, I've become friends with a couple of them and they're, you know, how oh, I did that audition too. And, uh, and the funny thing is I have a friend, uh, Zach throne. I don't know if you know, Zach throne is he's a Vegas guy, but he plays with, uh, yeah, he plays with Ace Fearful for kiss, but he's around town. He's just a great singer. He was an actor for years. And he met last gig I did with him was maybe about a year ago. And he said, Hey, you did that you auditioned for that. He's like, yeah, I, I thought he goes, I thought I had that. I auditioned for it. I was like, Oh, you're the weird dude. You're the guy. Cause I said, yeah, we got this other weird dude. And he's like, he asked us if the gig was legit. He'd take the gig if it was legit. And I guess because he said that they were like, what's this guy's deal. And they, you know, but that's just, if you know, Zach, that's just Zach. Like he's, he's got a dry sense of humor and he just, you know, and it all, I was like, Oh, it all makes sense now. <laughs> like you were just being funny and they just didn't get the joke. So um, but yeah, I, I auditioned for it and, and then I ended up doing a bunch of touring with them and all over the world, South America, uh, uh, Japan, uh, Russia, Europe, you know, whenever, um, 
I went everywhere. So after Offspring, what was your thought yes. process? Was it stay in music? Was it another path? Was it what was it for you? Well, my uh, my wife at the time my, um, had a baby. My son was born, so like three days. I got a call on Friday that I was not going to be used for the next tour after sitting around for like four months waiting for them to go out on tour. And there was a couple of things that get canceled. Um, and then, you know, my, uh, my wife at the time had, a, she had my son 30 days later. So I got called on Friday, got let go Monday. My son was born. So I got pretty, you know, into that. It was kind of, I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise in a sense, because I got, I was home with my son for about two years. So after that, it was just, you know, trying to pay the rent. And uh, I hooked up with some cover bands in Orange County and some traveling tribute bands. And I was able to do this weekend warrior sort of thing and, and uh, still perform, but, you know, raise a, a you know, a, a child, while my uh, my ex was working and going to college, she was in her master's program at the time. So we we just had to we really didn't have any sort of support network out west because everybody was back east, you know. So yeah, so we, it was a, it was a bit of a struggle for a couple of years, but uh, you know, kept it up, kept going, and and you know, and I our our mentality getting back to the moving to out west was you know we were a couple coming up and and you know, working and, and she was going to school and whatever. And I was trying to make it in, in the business. And, and uh, it was like, well, if we're going to be broke, we might as well be warm, you know, there you we go. Might as well, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to have to get a job, a day job, working at a factory somewhere, I, I'd rather it be in Southern California where I can, you know, go to the beach and, and I'm not freezing my ass off. And, you know, as you know, shoveling snow to get out, out to get to work. You know, I, I don't want any part of that anymore. So. Yeah. And waking up to gray skies going, you know, I've seen sun in photos. I haven't seen it in my backyard in a long time. <laughs> it's very true, man. I was, I spent my coffee hour. Yeah, it's so true. So true. 2012, you joined the original members of Dio as a vocalist after Ronnie Dio passed. The group was called Last in Line. That was a super group featuring Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard and Whitesnake, Vinny Apici from Black, or Black Sabbath, and then Jimmy Bain from Rainbow. What was this experience like for you, Andrew? And how long did it take for you guys all to fit in with one another? Yes. Uh, what was the experience like for me? It was, it was, uh, it was a strange one. I was doing a session in, in LA and uh, uh, I was in the middle of this two week sort of a thing. And Vinny, who I played with in Lynch Mob years ago, like 2006, uh, he sent me an email and said, Hey, we're, Basically, we're we're getting together to jam, you know, Vivian, Jimmy, and Vinny. Vivian, Jimmy, and this, uh, the keyboard player that, uh, who was the part of the original mix of guys, the touring band, and uh, we're going to get together and play some of the old songs. Are you free to come down and sing? I said, yeah. I mean, I'd love to. Uh, I was a big fan of Dio. I was a big fan of all those guys. I'm a huge fan of all of them. Um, and I had played with Jimmy and, and Vinny, you know, in a like a L.A. all-star, quote-unquote, uh, air quotes, cover band in uh, Los Angeles. So I knew those guys and I had met the keyboard player, Claude. Uh, we were working on a project together. Uh, so the only person I met was Vivian. So, but it, it's cool to meet, you know, one person here, one person there, work with them in different projects, but this was the core, you know, first three album Dio band and to wrote that wrote all the big songs, you know, we rock and, and uh, stand up and shout and uh, rainbow in the dark. So yeah, it was a big deal for me. Cause I was a big fan. And, uh, 
so I said, yeah, I can do it, but I, I have this session for two weeks. These are, this is the time I can't do it. So schedule it for this date. I'll be goddamn if they didn't do it right in the middle of that session. Like I was in the middle of a session and I had to get permission to leave. Cause we would, we were doing all these, we were redoing all these cover songs um, and all these seventies cover songs uh, over. Uh, we had like 40 of them to record. So I was singing the guide vocals for everything. And uh, it was a good gig, a really good gig. And it's, uh, they would, we would do a song and then I'd take a break for an hour, two, three hours sometimes. And then they would, you know, do all the overdubs and everything. And we'd come back in, do another one. And they do all the instrument overdubs. So we get like three a day done, two or three a day done, depending on how entailed it was. And so I had to sneak out during one of the breaks. And, and basically, I, you know, and it was, across the 405, you know, was, I was on one side, I was in Van Nuys and I had, I was in Van Nuys doing anything. And then I had to go over to the other side of the highway on Sepulveda to, you know, to get over there. So to the other side, so they were, you know, they were close to each other, but it was still like a, a good 20 minutes, you know, back and forth. So I, that was, I was working in my favor. Uh, so I went over, did it, walked in and I sang three songs and then I was like, see you later. You know, that's all I can do, you know, and it, but because, but it was kind of like I was walking into this, legend room of you know legendary musicians and i just kind of was like this is what i can give you you know i just kind of walked in did it and i had been singing that stuff for years i knew every word to every song i didn't have to have any cheat sheets or anything i just banged it out and and they were happy and uh and uh, i remember you know vivian being like oh wow okay you gotta go now like yeah i gotta go i got a session it's like okay it was basically like mic drop out the door you know like, <laughs> this is what i'll give you i'm giving you three songs and that's it you know <laughs> but it wasn't like an audition or anything it was just a, they were just getting together to jam and because of that they decided to do some la shows you know doing the old material and uh then we got offered a record deal when the press came out we got offered a, a deal with frontiers records pretty early and uh, ended up doing a, our own record so and now the rest of this history. Now we're on number three. Album number three is coming out on the 31st. And 10 years later, you know. When it first started then, was it just supposed to be a short-term thing that's now lasted 10 yeah. years? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I don't uh, I don't think they were aware of the power and abilities I had <laughs> to bring them to the next level. No, I uh, I had, uh, yeah, basically we had this meeting about it. And, and you know, they were very... Uh, adamant about playing their music and you know and i was very much the, the fill-in guy you know just the guy who's going to sing them get them through the songs it was just going to be a couple shows around la maybe you know um and that was going to be it and it turned into uh, a huge offer to come to to japan to play a festival there um people were really interested in it so uh we we did we did a run uh we did, we did a, some shows in england uh we did some where else did we play? We did that big Japanese show. That was a huge one. Um, and, uh, and then we got the, you know, we got the record offer. So we just started, we started working on records. So we didn't really do a lot of live shows at the beginning of it, but, uh, got great management. Every, a lot of people got interested and we had a, a manager who was a big fan and he kind of championed it. Um, he owned a big, uh, um, production co or a big uh, booking agency in, in, in England and UK. And uh, decided to start his own management company around us. So, um, and that was really helpful because it got us out there, and we got the records done, and and uh, yeah, you know, the rest is history, I guess. How much did the passing of Jimmy Bain from cancer when he passed on a cruise ship set you guys back? 
Um, you know, I don't know if it set us back because, uh, well, we did, we did talk about not doing it anymore. You know, it just didn't, it, it didn't make sense, but we had a couple of commitments, uh, to fill that we wanted to fill. Uh, and we had a show in, in Italy and that was, uh, for the record label. And, you know, so we got, we had some auditions and, uh, for somebody, but it was mostly, it was all people we knew. It wasn't, we didn't have all the big, um, open cattle call for a bass player because we had no intention of doing anything beyond these shows and okay. the, the commitments that we had. And we had a few guys come in and, um, you know, some, some big name guys that, you know, they're friends with and I'm friends with. And it just didn't, we, we played with Phil and, uh, it worked out really well. You know, he's a total pro and he, you know, came in prepared, you know, I'd be surprised. A lot of people don't come in prepared for these auditions. They think they're just going to breeze their way through it. And this is the way to be. So when a guy of Phil's caliber comes in and he just nails everything, you know, he's a total pro. And, uh, and we said, okay, so we did a couple shows, we did our commitments and we decided, you know what, let's see where this goes, you know, and ended up doing another album, uh, and released two, and I think we did, we did more dates off for the heavy crown, uh, record with Phil. We did a lot of touring on that and, uh, and it seemed to work out. We, uh, we had another keyboard player at the time to a hired guy, uh, who wasn't really a part of the band. He just was hired. Uh, I did a bunch of shows and it seemed to work out really well. So we decided to do a second, another record instead of disband it, you know, so we've just been continuing. It, this band has always been a, a, um, let's see where it goes sort of a thing. You know, we have a lot of challenges, you know, playing stuff, you know, with with uh, Vivian's schedule with Def Leppard. It's it's tough to we have to schedule around that. But he's very willing to play in his off time with them. He just likes to play, you know, to get out and and and, uh, and, and do and do shows. So we're lucky in that aspect. But it's also it's a bit of a challenge. So every time we do, you know, we get done with an album cycle, it's like, OK, we do another one. What's the plan? And I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, you know. The new music coming out is it next month, Jericho, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, March thirty first. We, uh, we have a single coming out tomorrow. The next single, "Do the Work," is coming out tomorrow. Which, when this airs, it'll be out. So, yep, it'll be out. Make a difference with free as a tea. Did you know one in five Americans will experience a mental health challenge every year? Free as a tea is giving the gift of good. For every T-shirt purchased. $5 will be donated to the Mental Health Coalition to support mental health resources for the millions of people who need them. Plus, for every purchase, one shirt is donated to someone in need. Free your mind and shop with a cause. Buy one, give one for $45 and learn more about us and our mission at freeasatea.com or click the link in the show notes. Make a difference one tea at a time. Happy tea time. I'm going to kind of see where you go here. You got to pick one. Okay. Is it heaven and hell or shame on the night? Which one? Which song? Yeah. Ooh, personally, I, I like, I, I love shame on the night. Shame on the night. We don't play that anymore, but I, I really love playing that song. We never played heaven and hell. We don't do any of that, uh, any of the Black Sabbath stuff. We just do the Dio stuff, but I love both songs. I mean, I love playing both of them. There's a lot of power in both of them, but shame on the night just has this, this growly, you know, there's a, there's a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, just pointed energy in, uh, his voice is unbelievable. And the band just plays with this reckless, uh, aggression, but it's just this constant 
banging sort of a thing. It's and it's it's fun to play, get in a room and you can hear it on a record and hear that. But when you get in a room and hear Vinny playing it, who's probably you know one of the hardest hitting drummers I've ever played with, it's um, it's pretty interesting <laughs> to say the least. So. <laughs> to feel that to be in a room with that power and and having these guys on the same page and you know been friends for you know 30 plus years and it's it, it's uh it's quite a spectacle i think so how did you end up guessing with def leopard when you were part of a def leopard tribute band <laughs> uh well, I wasn't, I wasn't in the tribute band at the time I was, I was done. Uh, that was a couple of years before that, but I played bass for a leopard tribute band and I filled in on vocals with them, uh, with a good friend of mine. Um, the bands that I was playing with when my son was born, I, I joined that. Um, yeah, it, it was really interesting. It actually happened the same day that Jimmy passed. Jimmy Bain yeah. passed. It was the, it was on the, the Def Leppard cruise. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. So we, Jimmy had, uh, I, I had been asked to do, I was coming back from dinner and we had a day off and I said, and when I have a day off, I eat, you know, I like, I eat <laughs> and I did, I went, I got, I was on a cruise ship and I got down, man. Like I was my girlfriend, I went to dinner and we ate, you know, it was great. And we're walking, they were playing, Leopard was playing in the, the theater that night. And I said, let's go see if we can get some tickets, you know, because I don't, all those things are ticketed. And they, they were, you had certain seats and we had, I, you know, I didn't know if we could even get in, you know, I'm sure it could get in. I just didn't know where we could sit, you know? So went down the theater, I ran into this guy, Eddie Trunk. I don't know if you know who Eddie is. He's, uh, he's like the savior of rock and metal. He, he has a, uh, a show on Sirius and, uh, he's just all about these bands. And, uh, she's like, Hey, they're looking for you inside. I said, looking for me. I said, what for? You know, I get in there, they're. The tour manager comes running over, uh, uh, production manager, Mike Kobayashi comes running over and he's, he's like, do you know any Def Leppard songs? I go, oh, no, no. He said, he said, yeah. So they need you on stage. I go, for, for what? And he goes, do you know any Def Leppard songs? I said, I know every Def Leppard song. He said, why? He said, uh, can you go, go up on stage? He said, Joe lost his voice and they need somebody to, to sing. And I just looked at him and I was like... <laughs> F you, dude. <laughs> get, get the hell away from me. You know, like, whatever, dude. I went up there and they handed me a set list. You know, Phil Collin walked over, handed me a set list. He says, you know any of these? I said, I know all of these. You know, kind of like, yeah, new guy. I know all of these, you know. <laughs> like, what do you want to do? What's the deal? They told me and, and it just turned out he had lost his voice and they had a full house and we had to, we had to get through it. So they had a couple other uh, uh, guest singers. They had... Um, couple guys, uh, Kip Winger and uh, Eric Martin was the other guy. They they were reading lyrics off the sheet and, uh, you know, trying to get through a song. Um, but then Phil, Colin, the guitar player, and then Vivian Campbell, they both sang a couple songs. And then I got up there and and, and did uh, a few songs with them as well. So And I, you know, obviously stole the show. So it's pretty, you know. That'd be a fun experience, though. Yeah, it, it was it was a very strange experience. But earlier that day, we did the sound check, and then we went upstairs to the where we had our um, our rooms. We were all on the same floor, and and the the uh, butler for the floor stopped me and said, "Hey, uh, your friend hasn't responded. Who was next door to me? Um, I've been knocking on the door, and he hasn't responded." And I was, I was like, he "Said, um, can you go in there and check on him?" I said, "Why can't you go in there and check on him? I don't, you know." Like we're trying like, no, you do it. No, you do it. You know, cause he had been sick. He had, he had, uh, 
uh, Jimmy had been sick and uh, he told us he had pneumonia pneumonia and he was getting over it. And we had canceled, we had, we had said we would cancel the cruise, you know, uh, but he said, no, he wanted to go play. Turned out he had stage four, you know, lung cancer and uh, didn't tell anybody. So we, so I went in the room and sure enough, there he was. And um, so I, you know, we had to tell everybody what happened. And then we, the decision was made to go through the, with the show and, uh, and, you know, again, as they say, that's the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> It was a very interesting day because we had to kind of put on our smiley faces. And we also didn't announce it at the show. We waited till the no. next day because we were trying to, we wanted to get in touch with his daughter who, had li- who lived in, in London. And, uh, you know, we needed to want her to find out, but it, and it turned out somebody leaked it to somebody else. And it came out before she could find out it, which is one of the biggest regrets of the whole thing. So, but that's, that was uh, been dubbed. That's been dubbed the weirdest day of my life. How bad it was. That's that is from one side to the other and emotions going, wow, I just lost it. It's like hills and valleys, my friend. That is hills and valleys. (laughs) Yes. 2016, your LP heavy crown, number one billboards, heat seeker chart with tracks, devil and me and star maker. The LP cover was done by you with the photo of your son out here in Vegas at seven magic mountains. Pretty cool. Have you ever thought about doing like graphic design or got more into photography? That's funny because that's what I, <laughs> yes, I, but 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I started my graphic design journey back in like 98 or 99 to 2000, 2001, I'd say. Um, I started doing it, uh, at a website back East called mass live. It's, it was a, a news website. Um, but I always did it for the bands. You know, I, I got into it. The band needed a, a web, they needed a website. One of the bands I was in in New York city. And so it's like, I, you know, we didn't have any money to pay anybody. So I, I just learned how to do it myself and put something together. So that a lot of my, a lot of my, um, uh, graphic design, photography, um, all that, you know, media sort of background comes from a necessity to pay somebody to do it and not, wanting or not being able to pay them. So, um, I just actually, the, the video that's coming out tomorrow, we just did a, um, a video for the new song off the new last line record called do the work. I edited it. We shot and edited it. I did it myself. And I, I basically, I, I did, a, I've done a couple of videos back when the pandemic thing was happening, you know, when pandemic was happening. We did a couple of friends of mine and everybody wanted the money. Like, Oh, we need, I need two grand to do this. I need a grand to do it. You know, just shoot all the stuff, sending me, I'll edit it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that, you know, because I want to release a lot of stuff. So it ends up costing me a lot of money to, you know, if I'm doing it on my own, Mm -hmm. a lot of money to get people to do it when I don't, I can't justify, I can't justify hiring somebody to cut my lawn. You know what I mean? Like I can't hire just, I can't justify hiring a landscaper because if I don't have a day job, why am I doing that? You know, every time we have a cleaning lady that comes to the house, like, and every time she comes here, I'm like, I should be doing this myself, you know, but that also takes away from, you know, getting work done, which is, you know, the right. wall looks like shit right now because I've been editing this video for the past <laughs> two weeks, you know, so, <laughs> so well, you're here so in Vegas, a, you can sell your yeah. grass for money. <laughs> I know I could, I could, I, I believe me, the thought has crossed my mind with my HLA, believe me. Um, so, you know, um, I, I forgot where I, I went off on a tangent here. Sorry, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, about uh, you during the pandemic, you were doing 
videos and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, so yeah, so that's that's how I got into the, the graphic graphic design. It's usually out of necessity for things to you know, you know, I I do all the work around my house because I don't unless I can't unless it's got something to do with the poop. You know, I, I can't, uh, I don't want, I'll pay somebody to do that. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. What was, what was it like being part of that, the Vegas show rating the rock vault? I mean, that was music from 48 to 89, but it was six shows per week at the former Hilton on the same stage that Elvis took. Was that yeah. kind of like all surreal or was it just like, this is a crazy grinding job? Um, it, it was, it was a blessing for a while. It, I, I like to refer to it as toxically beautiful. Mm. It was, it was, it was toxic um, right to the end. Uh, but on a performance level, I couldn't have gotten any more, um, any better. You know, we, we did some of the, uh, the best classic rock songs in history and, and I got to sing them six nights a week. It, it became a grind uh, at times, but uh, you know, I look back on it with a lot of, um, you know, it was endearing, you know, I met my girlfriend because of it, um, ended up moving out to Vegas because of it, which I, I you know, I love it here. Oh, so I you weren't nice in life. Vegas when you had that job then you were still living in no, LA. I lived, yeah. I lived in Calabasas and, and, uh, by, by LA and, uh, I was traveling back and forth, which, you know, got kind of tough. You know, my son was very young. Um, he was around three, four years old when we started it. Uh, when we ended it, he was probably about nine, <laughs> you know, um, nine, 10, something like that. So he, he grew up around the show too. And used to come out on stage with me and, you know, it was, a lot of it was great. You know, it had, a, it had a family atmosphere at times, but you know, and a dysfunctional, uh, East coast family, <laughs> a dysfunctional Midwestern family, you know what I mean? Where, uh, Midwestern Italian family, I would say, where everybody <laughs> loves each other, but we're all out to get each other. Right. You know? So it's it's uh, it, w- it was uh, the best of times. It was the worst of times, I should say. You know, uh, uh, we had a great time. We did a lot of shows and made some really great friendships from that show. Um, over the years, made a lot of contacts from it. You know, for the business and and uh, and I couldn't have gotten a better. Like I guess I was saying I couldn't have gotten a better training as a vocalist than having to keep it in shape six nights a week. Um, it's um, something that I, I could never get anywhere else to this day. Cause I, I, you know, to, to be like, I can't sing today. You have to sing today. You know, you, there's no, nobody else. You have to do it. You know, that was the biggest part of it, you know, and uh, I was able to get settled here, you know, the show, I was in the show for about seven years seven, eight years. And it was for, for Vegas. That's a great run, you know? Yeah. I think it did like and, over a thousand shows or something, didn't it? Yeah, we did over a thousand shows. Yeah. 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 No. But uh, it was great. I had a great time. Um, they're still doing it. I don't think I would go back. Um, it was a little problem with money there for a little while and money and arrogance and <laughs> arrogance about paying people. Uh, and I decided that well, I didn't decide I got fired and, but I, you know, I was a squeaky will and, you know, squeaky will doesn't sometimes just gets replaced. You know what I mean? So that's yes. exactly what happened. So but, you know, I wish them all the best. I hope it's going well. Um, but it was a grind. I don't know if I'd want to get back into that grind again. Uh, but, you know, good times. Performing with Lynch Mob on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. What was that like? That was weird. That was so weird. <laughs> it that had was to so be. strange. We were, it's funny, we were at a rehearsal space in Burbank and in, in L.A. And um, we were just rehearsing, you know, and unbeknownst to us, Oh no, actually we, we, I walked in and there was a guy sitting on the pickup truck with a camera 
and I saw John Melendez, who used to be the, you know, the Ed McMahon to uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, to, you know, to Jay, yeah, he was he was basically Jay, Jay Leno's Ed, yeah. Ed McMahon. And he used to be on the Stern show too, Howard Stern show years ago. They referred to him as Stuttering John then. Um, and I knew who John was. I had John had a record. Uh, his band was called Stuttering John, and he had a, the record was great. This was going back to the you know the nineties. And uh, I walk in, I was like, oh shit, it's Stuttering John. And uh, but you can't call him that anymore. You know, he's, he's John Melendez. Now, so. uh, like, oh well, what's he doing here? You know, and and the, the guy who came came over said, yeah, the Tonight Show's here. They're going to be going. They're going to be doing some stuff. You know, filming a bit for the show like okay cool and uh so they the guy asked he said i don't know if they're going to come in here but they might just walk in while you're playing like yeah cool whatever sure enough we're playing and they come in with the camera on you know and it turned into this whole thing you know about it was about um ah man i can't remember what the bit was about it's on it's on youtube somewhere but it was uh it was kind of a funny thing they were this is the band that your mother warned you about sort of thing. And this is the band that it's going to end up being your accountant or whatever. It was all these little bits, but we had a pretty big featured part on it. And it was only about four months after I, I think it was, I can't remember. It was, it was pretty, pretty close. It was because Vinny was playing with us. Vinny Epstein was with us. And, uh, and yeah, we just, it, it was, it was really surreal. We didn't really do, we did a big interview thing, but it didn't air, but us playing on the tonight show was, was there. It was, you know, after being in LA for four months, like, Oh my God, I'm going to this quickly. I'm going to be huge. You know, I'm going to be a fucking millionaire pretty soon. <laughs> you know I mean? So you have done so many people you have filled in for, I mean, Def Leppard, we talked about, you've been in all these yeah. bands but then you filled in for CJ snare and firehouse after he was recovering yeah. from abdominal surgery, abdominal yeah. surgery. I mean, did you know those songs too, or did you have to learn them? I knew some of them. Um, you know, I was familiar with them back in the day. Their, their A&R uh, guy at uh, uh, Columbia records was uh, I, I was his, his assistant was my brother's girlfriend. So, you know, and she, she worked in the big Sony building on uh, in Manhattan and I worked at maybe about four or five blocks away. So I always go up to Columbia, you know, trying to hawk my band uh, because I had an in and uh, I became really good friends with her name was Nadine Hemi. Her name is Nadine Hemi. We're still friends to this day. And um, so I would get, you know, she, this was back in the time of CDs, you know, and uh, I would go up there and she just hand me a box and go, go in the drawer, take whatever you want. You know? So I would, you know, literally, load this you know sometimes i go get stuff and just take it down to the used record store and sell them <laughs> <laughs> just to support myself but i was you know i was working at a recording studio at the time i was an engineer and uh you know new york's expensive so <laughs> but yeah so i was aware of them you know I, I had i knew a few of their songs but not all of them but it was a fun gig you know they're they're a, they're really good guys you know it was uh, you know luckily CJ's um, surgery was a complete success and he, he came right back, but there was, it was touch and go for a minute, you know? And, uh, and I know it was really hard for him to watch me do it. Same thing with Joe, with Joe Elliott, you know, it was, you know, you're standing on the side of the stage and Joe introduced us, you know, he's like, this is the first time I've ever done this. And the ladies and gentlemen, Def Leppard. And he walks off stage, you know, that's Joe Elliott, Joe Elliott, Elliott is Def Leppard, you mm-hmm. know? And I'm standing there like, Oh man, this guy's going to hate me for the rest of my life. It's like asking his wife to dance. You know what I mean? It's not, not cool. So, you know, I really feel for CJ because he, you know, he's, that's his band, you know, and, and he wrote all those songs and 
to see them out, you know, with somebody else. And uh, that's, it's gotta be tough. You know, it's tough on your psyche. Cause it's, you know, we don't do this cause we do, do, you know, do rock and roll as a, uh, and try to do music as a living. It's, it's a hard thing to do. So you gotta be passionate about it. It's gotta be something that you love and you can't live without or else, you know, you lose it. Like I can, I can video edit for myself. I can, I can do, you know, graphic design for myself, but when I have to do it for somebody else and I'm not really passionate about it, I'm just not into it. You know, that makes sense. sometimes I'm not into it, you know, mm-hmm. unless the, unless the light bill is due, <laughs> that, <laughs> then, would, that would make me passionate about it. Then you know? I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah. But those, I mean, those guys are great. You know, Michael and, and, uh, and Bill, they're just, they're just salt of the earth type dudes. And they, we had a great time and, and, uh, my, they're, they're, um, their tour manager's a friend of mine too. Uh, really good friend of mine. Um, Joey Arias, he used to work for kiss and that, you know, I, we've just met over the years and, uh, these guys over the years and we just had a blast, you know, it was, it was like, I, I would do it in a heartbeat again. I, I hope I don't have to, you know, but I, I would do it in a heartbeat again. Cause I, I just, I love those guys to death. They're the best. So. What sounded like it could have been a blast was last year, Rock Island in Key West, Florida with D Snyder. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did, I was, I played with last in line, but yeah, he was, uh, he was, um, he did. I love D too. I mean, I, I don't know him very well. I've met him a couple of times, but he's, he's the consummate front man. He is the, the, the in your face, New York guy, you know, he's from Long Island and he just is, I still, I, I can't tell you how much stuff I picked up from him because he was the big up and coming. They were the up and coming band Twisted sister in New York when I was growing up, you know, I was very young. I couldn't get into the clubs to see them, but, but they were, you know, they were the band that couldn't get a record deal. Like they were doing huge numbers regionally, but they could not get a record deal to save their life. So, but I just, I always loved their attitude. Um, I loved the way he just, commands a room you know and he does he commands a room and and uh so yeah getting to watch him is, is always a treat for me so love d snyder he, he probably doesn't love me but i that's why i don't get too friendly with people because the second i see behind a curtain i can't anymore you know <laughs> is there a song that you've covered that you appreciated more after you performed it yes well and it would be it would be the one we just did in day in life uh, I, I, we just did a day in the life on an EP back in November. It came out, uh, the Beatles day in the life. And I didn't think we were going to pull it off. Nobody believed in it besides Phil, the bass player in our band. And he championed it. He decided to to do it. And he said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And if you guys want to be involved, you can be involved. And, uh, yep. So I said, okay, you know, and I, I'll, I just didn't have any, I didn't have a vision on how we could do it better or as good as the original, you know, because one, it's the Beatles. You shouldn't mess with it Two, It's a day in the life, which has, you know, a full orchestra on it. Like how are we going to do that on our budget? And, and I think we did a good job. Uh, we did a good job of the record, but then we started doing it live and it was a little bit of hesitation from a couple of guys in the band, because you can't just go out there, there and fake it. You know, there's gotta be rehearsal and we don't rehearse. So uh, we don't like to rehearse. We just don't rehearse because there's just time constraints. So uh, that one we had to go over at Soundcheck a couple, three or four days before we uh, actually did it live. And, and it was a huge hit. Like, we didn't think it was going to be this 
as big as it was because we're a heavy band and you know people like the more upbeat more heavier stuff and we come out doing this Beatles and Daniel Life thing and it it went great you know uh, we have a knack for doing songs that have a lot of this instrumentation and kind of dumbing it down and still making it interesting. So do you, yeah, I'd, I'd say that was, a, you know. do, do you prefer to sing, write, produce graphic photography? What, what, what do you prefer to do? Well, uh, being that I'm manic depressed, no, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I prefer singing, but there's, it's, I have a love hate relationship with all of those things. Um, I guess it depends on my mood and what needs to be done. You're like, all right, now I'm really into video editing right now. Like I'm really into it to the point where, you know, I keep walking around and my son's here and my girlfriend's here. And I'm like, you know, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, I'm a video director now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a video director now. You know, and I just start laughing at me like, you know, my, especially my girlfriend who's like a, she's a, uh, she's a TikTok. She's a, got a big social media following. She's a comedian. And she's got like, you know, two and a half million followers on, on social media. You know, she's, she's a legit celebrity. And, uh, he's like, Get, I've been video, I've been editing videos for the past, you know, three years. And now you're a video editor, a video director. Like, Get the hell out of my face. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I says like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. No. <laughs> depends on, depends on what needs to be done. Sorry. I was going to say listeners go to andrewfreemanmusic.com. I had first heard you sing when you guest sang with David Perico's band at Santa oh, Fe yeah. and you took the stage yeah. and did some journey songs. And I was with my mother and a couple of her friends. And I looked over at her and said, that guy is amazing. Your voice was fantastic. So thank I, you, man. Appreciate I give it. you big props for that. It was fantastic to listen to you sing. So listeners, if you have a chance to see Andrew in person, I cannot recommend it enough Spend the money. I don't care what it costs you. Neither does Andrew. He's got to pay light bills and get his grass cut. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I got to cut my own grass. What kind of a rock star has to cut his own grass. Come on. That's right. <laughs> Man, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about your journey. And I wish you nothing but success with the new music and hope things go well. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you having me. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Listeners, make sure you join the exclusive BTL members group that includes private Zoom calls with my former guest, a one-of-a-kind poker chip, discounts, and extra content. Until next time, I'm Tommy Canale. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I salute a chin-chin. That was awesome. <laughs>